turn your Bibles to uh, Philippians because um, we're in Philippians and there's so much that we need to uh, remember what we've talked about. Last week we had Brad here and Brad is, wow, that's all I can say, wow. Um, he'll be coming back for the conference, he'll be speaking at the conference, he has two slots during the LifeGate conference uh, in September. And he'll be talking on church planting, the rigors of church planting in uh, pioneer locations. So you don't want to miss that. He doesn't mince words, and um, he just really shares from his heart. So remember to pray for Radius. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, because we broke into Philippians chapter 4 a couple months ago, actually, Paul began by correcting a problem that was in a church, right, with Yodike and uh, Syntyche. Iodia and Syntyche, and the problem was that they were disputing with each other, and there was disunity that started with them, but then was branching out to the rest of the church, so much so that Paul literally calls them out by name for all eternity, my gosh. I mean, I'm sure they thought, well, that's just in a letter <laughs> when it came, but Wow. Every generation has learned these two ladies' names and that Paul said, would you please just learn to live in harmony? Very, very, very important. Their lack of unity had the potential to spread and so Paul called them out to live in harmony. And then beginning in verse four, Paul shows them a more excellent way to live than that disunity that they were fomenting. And that's where we have been. We talked about always rejoicing, right? It, it says so right in the very, uh, twice actually, in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't be in disunity and disharmony with one another, but learn to rejoice always. Secondly, he told us to possess and display a gentle spirit. You can't be fighting with each other and be exercising a gentle spirit. That's not a gentle spirit when you're disputing with one another and, and in disunity. And he said, because the Lord is near. Not meaning that he's going to come back soon because it's been over 2,000 years. So how would that verse work chronologically? He meant the Lord is present with you, right in your midst. I'll never forget, a, a, came upon a woman one time in the, in the tribal group that we were working with and she was literally throuncing her little child who was disobedient. She had a, a, a piece of rattan. <laughs> she, was, she was beating him. And the kid was just screaming bloody murder and everything. And I came around the corner, and I'm the missionary, right? Well, she took the rod and put it behind her back, you know. And the kid's just laying on the ground, rothing around. <laughs> and I said, I said, it's okay. You have to discipline your child. I know that. And beside, God is right here present with you. And she just dropped the cane. I said, you know, you don't have to hide from me. I'm just a person. God's right here with you. That's what Paul was meaning, that the Lord is near. So let your gentle spirit be known to all men. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, one of my favorite verses, where it says, be tenderhearted, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Um, let me get to it real quickly here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, 
just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How can we hold somebody captive to something that they've did wrong to us when we've been forgiven by God for Christ's sake? And I mean, that's exactly what Paul's saying. He said, you need to be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving each other because you've been forgiven. There's nothing anybody can do to us that we shouldn't be able to forgive them completely and just turn them over to the Lord, release them. So that's the second thing. First rejoice, then he says, I want you to possess a spirit, of a gentle spirit. And then, and then he goes on to say, stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So today, we're going to talk about Thankful praying, right? Thankful praying. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, that means just has a good reputation, if there is any excellence and if in anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me... The Apostle Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He, he, it, it's all based off of Iodia and St. Decay. He's saying the God of peace. Why? There wasn't peace. When you have disharmony, disunity, and inner fighting, there's not peace. And so he's, that's kind of a theme that's just recurring through this little text. Let's pray. Father, as we listen to this text this morning and and uh, get our arms around what, uh, what it means, Lord, in the outworking of our personal Christian lives, we pray, Father, that hearts would be touched, that by the power of your Holy Spirit working in inner, the inner person of your children in this church, that you would transform us, Lord. Father, that we might bring even more glory to you than we are, that we might be uh, experiencing that peace of God in our lives, that our gentle spirit is known, that, that we can rejoice in all situations, always. Father, help us, Lord. We're needy people. And we thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. So just a quick review, because we, we, we spent some time and Brad kind of came in and broke that up, but we were talking about be anxious for nothing, right? And a quick review on anxiety. Uh, when we were together, I, I actually drew, uh, drew you to Psalm 42, and just, just a quick reminder of what that kind of anxiety that Paul was speaking about here, um, that he commanded, because it is a command, the Philippians not to possess, not to allow to overrun their heart, is, is displayed in Psalm 42 where David says that when he was experiencing his anxiety, he felt despair. He felt like he is cast down. He is brought down very, very low. There was a disturbance. He was disquieted in his, 
in his inner person. Turmoil was there. There was distress. He felt overwhelmed and he used an illusion of waves washing over. He, he felt like he was forgotten by anybody that cared. He felt forgotten by them, no longer cared for, not taken care of. And he went in the morning. Things were black, dark. He felt like he was in the darkness. It was enveloping him. And therefore he felt oppressed, distressed or afflicted by an enemy as if there was an enemy actually oppressing him, pressing him down. And finally, he gives the illustration, he felt like his bones were being shattered. I've never had a broken bone, thank God. But I know a lot of people have, and sometimes you get a fracture where it splinters out, maybe you're in an accident or something, and I just can't imagine anything as painful as that. But that's a picture of anxiety. And God's children, people, listen to me, God's children can experience that kind of anxiety, and many do. Many do. But what do we do when such a sense rushes over us? And oftentimes, anxiety is like a wave. It just kind of comes over us. And I'm not one given to depression. I've shared that many, many times. But there have been times. And it just takes you by surprise. What do you do? Well, there's only one answer for anxiety. That's humility. And you think, what? How can you be so sure to tell us such a thing? Well, I'm sure because it's God's word that says such a thing. In 1 Peter chapter 5, you can turn there very quickly with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, it says very clearly in verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves. Now, the therefore is therefore a reason. It points back to what he was just talking about. And he was talking to young men and how they were to be uh, towards their elders. You younger men, verse 5, likewise, be subject to to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility. So humility is in his mind when he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is an amazing text. He's merely continuing his thought in verse 6 with the therefore. And what is it to humble oneself under the mighty hand of God if it is not to stretch yourself out on God in complete confidence that God knows what he's about? God is not unaware of the suffering or even the anxiety that you're experiencing. All that comes into our lives, whatever we come up against, God is over it. Therefore, we must run to him when we are filled with anxiety, but it will take humility to trust him with our cares and worries. And that's exactly what Peter says in verse 7, right? Casting all your anxiety on him. The difficulty in doing so is summed up in one word, pride. Pride. Therefore, the answer is also summed up in one word. The answer to anxiety is humility. 
And this is why I said, only one thing takes care of anxiety, and that is humility. So humility, how is it shown in the face of anxiety? Well, turn back to Philippians. He doesn't leave us unanswered. Prayer. Now I want you to get your arms around how Paul is using this concept of prayer here. Does Paul really mean everything when he says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests made known to God? The answer is an emphatic yes. Yes. The Greek word that he uses for everything is anpanti, and it means either in every condition or in every matter. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks, same word, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, in every way, on every side, in every particular relation, so that every possible situation is covered by the words that Paul used, in everything. Nothing is left out. Nothing is left out of being brought to the Lord by prayer. Interestingly enough, the very phrase used in Ephesians 5.24, everything, is linked in our marriages where it says, but as a church is subject to Christ. We're to be subject to Christ in everything. So also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Same word. Every circumstance, every situation. The essence of worry is that we don't trust God to handle the circumstance. And friends of the female gender, the reason you have a hard time being subject to your husband is because you're not trusting him to handle the situation. You think you can handle it better. <laughs> that isn't a... That isn't a, a, a I'm not yelling at you. I'm just telling you like it is. That's why it's there. From the smallest thing to really big matters, wives as well as the church, as well as us as individuals, need to be ready to trust him, to trust our husbands. Why? He, he, he's not really a leader. I'm, au contraire. He is. God calls him one. And you're married to him. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think. You need to subject yourself to him. And we as a church need to follow Christ no matter what kind of trouble it gets us in. Those days are coming. Storm clouds are gathering. And we as individuals need to trust him in the struggles that we face in life. Casting all your anxiety on him. You see, the reason we need to stretch ourselves out in God in complete confidence is because God knows what he's about. He knows everything that is facing us. God knows what he's doing and all that comes into our lives, whatever, that would be the everything, whatever we come up against, God is over it. Casting all your anxiety on him. The difficulty in doing so is summed up in that one word, pride. So, let me say that he begins his little clause here. 
He says, be anxious for nothing but. It's an adversative. We can go to the language. You've got to go to the languages to understand what he's doing. He's contrasting carrying our anxieties with praying with thanksgiving. Okay? That's what he's doing. He's given us a contrast. He says, don't do this, but rather do this. So he gives us that adversative, the but. And he says, but as a church, or excuse me, he says, I want you to pray. The essence of worry is that we don't trust God to handle those things. Instead, we're trusting something else or someone else. Reminds me of the missionary that... uh, found himself, I'm not going to tell you the circumstance, found himself in a a life or death circumstance and he just poured himself out to God because it was like dire and God answered and delivered him. He went home that night and got into his mosquito netting. You know, in in tropical areas you have your bed surrounded with mosquito netting. It's just a thin cloth all the way around to keep the mosquitoes out. And lo and behold, a mosquito got in the net somehow and all night long he's fighting with this mosquito. He got up and he gets a light and, and he says, you know, he said to himself, they just seem to disappear. They're invisible when you turn a light on. How is that possible? He couldn't find it all night long. He didn't get a wink of sleep all night long. So next morning, groggy as he was, he's got his coffee and he's going to devotions and he was convicted by God as he was praying for God to undertake for him because he realized He could trust God for that big area that was dire straits for him, but he couldn't trust him with a mosquito. This is not funny. I mean, this is the truth, folks. I've told you the story of losing my keys to my car, which was parked at the airport. I was visiting up in Canada speaking, and I thought, sure, I left them on the bedstead of this older woman that I was staying with uh, when I was speaking up in Canada. And I called her up and said, will you please go and check the bedstead? She said, sure. She went and checked it. She said, they're not there, Stephen. I said, oh, man, I'm at the airport. My car is out in the parking lot. I don't have an extra set of keys. She said, did you pray? And I felt pride well up in my heart, like, what do you mean? You know, I, I had taken everything out of my bag. I dumped it upside down and everything. And I said, no, but I will now. Thank you so much. I wasn't sincere in that word, but I did. I bowed my head and I prayed. I went to my briefcase, and the first thing my hand touched were my keys. I don't know. You know, is God playing tricks with me? I don't know. But I went through that briefcase, lock, stock, and barrel. Pray, even for the small things, folks, the mosquitoes, because he is able in everything by prayer, not just the big things, but everything by prayer. Such living, such living is indicative of walking with God moment by moment, and not just during the religious times like Sunday morning or Bible study or when you're together with one another for a religious gathering. It's like when you're out in your garage and you can't find your tool. Just happened last week with Mary's glasses. She couldn't find them. We prayed about it an hour later, and we looked, believe me, we looked high and low. An hour later, we're sitting out on the porch, and we looked high and low all over that porch, and we told Joe about her glasses, and he said, do they have kind of like a leopard type thing? And Mary said, yeah, 
He said, right there. <laughs> right on the table in the porch. You cannot tell me we did not look there. And I just thought, again, thank you, little old lady up in Canada. Pray for the small things, because they can become big, right? Just looking back at Philippians 1, 3 through 4, it shows how Paul expressed this in his prayers for the Philippians. He uses all language at least four times in those two short verses describing his prayers for them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. I'd say Paul practiced what he preached. Prayer, supplications, and requests. Prayer is used over 107 times in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and it's used 36 times in the New Testament, 14 of which are used by Paul alone. Prayer. It's a, a compound word made up of pros, toward, or in the direction of, and uke, which is speech. So speech toward God. And supplication is a synonym without much variance. They're, they're interchangeable. though they're, they're two same words. They mean the same. And then you have the third reference, which is requests. Simply means to ask for something, to make a request of someone. So here is the request made to God. Paul encouraged the Philippians to not only let the gentle spirit be known, but their requests be known, be revealed to God. That's what he did. And all the prayers and petitions and requests should be thoroughly supported by a heart of gratitude. A heart of gratitude. I tell you, people become worried, anxious, and fearful because they don't trust God in his wisdom and power and goodness. They fear that God's not wise enough or strong enough or good enough to prevent disaster. It may be that this sinful doubt is, is because of their knowledge of him is faulty. And that's why I always promote, go to the Bible studies that the church provides. Just read the scripture in the morning. Saturate yourself in the word of God so you know who God is because it will equip you to live life and face the troubles in life so much more. Or possibly it's because their lives have been crippled by weak faith. Maybe they're engaged in sin. Thankful prayer brings release from fear and worry because it affirms God's sovereign control over every circumstance and that his purpose is in the believer's good. If we can grasp that, it's God Almighty with whom we have to do, the one who is unquestionably able to answer every prayer, supplication, or request, because not only does he possess the power to do so, listen to this, because some, some of you don't believe this, he cares for you. He cares. He's not only capable, but he loves us. So why wouldn't he help us? Gratefulness is the atmosphere of the mature Christian as water surrounds a fish. The mature believer lives in a perpetual state of thanksgiving. Ah, but the less mature are often found complaining and grumbling and moaning about everything. 
I just called some of you immature, and I stand by it. If you're complaining, you've got a complaining spirit. Not only is it sin, it's immaturity. You don't know God well enough because if you did, you'd be trusting him more in that situation you're complaining and grumbling about. That's called exhortation, and I'm told by God to do that with the congregation. So talk to him about that, okay? It goes on. He says something wonderful. There's, there's fruit that comes from giving our prayers, supplications, and requests to God, the peace of God, the peace of God comes into our lives. I'll never forget when I first trusted Christ, I remember folding my hands and just smiling. I prayed a prayer like, if you're really real, God, I want to be one of yours. I, I want to advise you to evangelize like that. Don't, don't do that. That's what God used in my life. And this incredible peace just flooded my being. And prior to that, as an unregenerate person, I was always churning. There was always stuff going on and just, just a lot of anxiety, a lot of struggle, right? That peace was marvelous. Every true child of God has already obtained peace with God with God through justification by faith in the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have peace with God before you can experience the peace of God. Turn to Romans chapter 5 real quickly. Let me do a quick exposition of this. Justification brings about not only peace with God, there's a wonderful process developed from our peace with God. Justification is, comes at the point where we're regenerate and we are trusting Jesus Christ to have forgiven us for all of our sins. It's the gospel, basically. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained something there. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction obtained, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. We have obtained, that's in the perfect tense, that means that it is a done deal. It's, it's done. And what have we obtained? An introduction or a, a, a access, prosagoge, toward being led into something into the enabling grace of God. Grace is much more than that unmerited favor. You know, everybody's learned, you know, the grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's more than that, people. It is the transforming power of God or the power to accomplish supernaturally what we cannot accomplish naturally. It's above and beyond us. It's otherworldly. It's alien to us as human beings. It's by this justification the believer now stands. This is in the perfect tense. Simply means the permanent, secure position believers enjoy in God's grace in contrast to our former state of condemnation. We have a totally new state that we stand in now. Such secure footing leads to other blessings, as you see as we read further. 
verse 3. And not only this, not only do we stand and exult in the hope of the glory of God, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope, when we exalt, and that's in the present tense, it signifies continuous action, lifestyle, hope is that confident expectation of the consummation of our salvation and final glorification. We're on that escalator. We are assured that we will arrive at the next floor. We know we're going to go to heaven. We know our bodies are going to be transformed. That's hope. Hope isn't a wish I may, I wish I might. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has begun in us. He will complete. Left to ourselves, we fall short of the glory of God. But the work of Christ has changed that. Jesus prayed that his followers would see his glory. And, and Stephen, as he died, being stoned with Paul standing there holding the people's garments, he saw the glory of God. Glory is connected with Christ because we read, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. And even now, believers are being transformed from glory to glory. When we see him, we will be like him. And so Paul could say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. But there's more. Now, the children of God can exult in tribulation. When someone is pressed, hemmed in, squashed, squeezed by their circumstances, that's Philipsis, that's tribulation, okay? It is a believer who has learned to stand in the grace of God that is also able, so he's able to exalt in the tribulation. You not only exalt in the hope of the glory of God, we exalt in the troubles we face on earth. We're weird. And people in the world see us and they say, how do you do that? How can you have such calmness? In this situation, how can you be actually joyful? You're dying. Well, I know where I'm going after I die. Do you? Turn it around for evangelism. This can be a bridge back to standing in grace, this exalting in tribulation, but it can also be a bridge forward to what God brings in the life to those who exalt in tribulation, found in verses 3 through 5. All those things that I listed. The fruit of being able to exalt in tribulation, being able to stand in the grace that God has brought into our lives is that we can now persevere. That God brought ability to stay put under whatever God brings to us. You fill in the blank. What is it that you're persevering in? You are doing it by the grace of God that enables you to do that. Because through perseverance, we suddenly see that there's proven character. What do you mean proven character? Proven because it was tested. You passed the test. So you've got proven character. And then it says hope. Not only proven character, because perseverance of the character has now stood the test and remained steadfast, but now you have hope. Well, it's kind of like me learning a second language. After I learned Indonesian, which just about killed me, 
when I went into the tribe and had to learn a tribal language, was an unwritten language, I had hope. You can ask Mary, I despaired the early days of language learning. That was hard. Couldn't teach because I didn't know the language. Couldn't talk to people. But once I learned Bahasa Indonesia and then I went to Taliabo, I was, I was hopeful. Based on what? Based on the perseverance and the succeeding in that. It ends where our text in Philippians begins now. And if the believer has truly experienced peace with God, which we said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, if they've experienced peace with God and is being trained through the sanctification process just laid out in Romans chapter 5, you see there's that process. You are justified, then you go through this process called sanctification, right? But you have hope, confident expectation. It's all going to end. You're going to be in heaven, Okay? you are now able to experience the peace of God. Because you have peace with God, you can now experience the peace of God. Hope does not disappoint. And when we stop being anxious for everything, and instead we bring everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let our requests be made known to God, we can now and only now experience the peace of God And the peace of God is something else. Paul tells us in Philippians that it is beyond. It surpasses comprehension. That ought to alert you to something. It goes beyond the ability of human capability. It is supernatural. It's beyond natural. Okay? This ability that you have now. It's not dependent on a person being clever enough or ingenious enough. It doesn't take into account the the schemes or humanly contrived solutions, the problems faced in life when you're meeting those problems. You don't go out to the garage and think, how am I going to get through this? If I do this, that'll happen. If I do that, that'll happen. You will drive yourself nuts if you do that. That's called relying on your flesh. That's called relying on your own wisdom. Compared to God, how you doing with that selfish wisdom? Paul's talking about the supernatural enablement to face life's problems and walk through them with God, who is providing, even in the midst of the most trying, difficult situations, peace, the peace of God. And then he says something else. (laughs) Not only does he give us this peace, he says what this peace of God will do. It guards our hearts and it guards our minds. Guards our hearts and it guards our minds. It's taken directly from the realm of the military, this terminology, this guarding. Some believe Paul used it knowing the audience in Philippi were aware of the military because Rome stationed troops there to protect their interests and many retired soldiers made up the the civilians in in Philippi. Uh, They were well aware of the military. And one commentator said this, God himself, who is characterized by peace, is guarding the inner man of the believer, whatever they are experiencing, God is akin to a prison guard or a battalion of Roman soldiers protecting a city. The city is your heart. The city is your mind. And the peace of God guards it. It guards it. 
How intimate and reassuring. Listen to this thought. How intimate and reassuring that the very God of creation protects his children's inner being, your heart and your mind, from the turmoil and anxiety and pressure of the very suffering he often uses to bring about our sanctification. Did you get that? Okay, think of Job. (laughs) God allowed all that to come into Job's life. God uses suffering in our lives to make us more Christ-like people. But look at what he does. In that suffering, he provides a peace of God for us if we bring everything to him by prayer and supplication, letting our requests be made to known to him with thanksgiving. Then we have the peace of God going through the suffering that he's either allowed or brought into our life to make us more like Jesus Christ. What an incredible God. He works on like 15 different levels at once with one situation. But that's God. And as we get to know him more, we get to marvel at that. We get to marvel that we're actually calm in the midst of this storm that we're going through right now because of the grace of God, because we have submitted to him and yielded ourselves to him. Wow. No wonder Paul says that this peace surpasses all comprehension. It's from outside this world. It's from God. The peace of God guards the hearts and the minds, which is a summary of the whole inner being. I want you to understand, don't, don't take that and divide that up. And it's not talking about guidance, you know. Oh, I have the peace of God to divorce my wife. No, you don't. Right? I mean, people use the peace of God as a guiding light. <laughs> you can deceive yourself into believing almost anything, right? And then you say, well, I've got peace about this. Oh, I prayed about this. I've got peace about this. Yeah, what about the other 500 verses that tell you you shouldn't be doing that? Okay? That's why you need leaders, elders, shepherds to come alongside you and say, uh-uh, I am sorry. You are out to lunch, my friend. In love, of course. (laughs) But it never seems like love when you have to correct someone. Don't divide the heart and the mind into two separate faculties. Man is made up of a physical body and the unseen, the soul. Paul's identifying the unseen part of the man as the heart and mind. Not only the thoughts of the mind, but also the emotions and relational elements discovered in the inner person. Paul will delve especially into the importance of the mind in verse 8. That comes next week, okay, where he tells us what we're to think. The audacity of Paul. Well, if you want to be safe and sound, filled with love and joy, you'll listen to him and think like he says to think. But here he joins the heart and mind together to identify the entire inner person. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Charles Bridges, in his wonderful work on Proverbs, said this, Assaulted as we are at every point, every inlet of sin must be strongly guarded, meaning the heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants, Let it be closely garrisoned. Let the sentinel be never sleeping on his post. Take heed 
to thy way and keep thy soul diligently. Deuteronomy 4.9 Go to the word. Can I keep my heart? Certainly not. But though it be God's work, it's man's agency. That is such a powerful statement. Though it be God's work, it's man's agency. What's he mean by that? He implants an active principle and sustains the unceasing exercise. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just go back to that verse and listen to the sermon I preached on that verse and you understand what he meant when he said he implants an active principle and sustains the unceasing exercise of it. It is God's work but it is man's agency. We have something to do, people. We have a will that we need to activate by the power of God. Here lies the conflict to the end. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God and after conversion, to keep it with him. (laughs) To keep it with God. And if the citadel be taken, the whole town surrenders. This is Bridges. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, the desires, the motives, the pursuits, all will be yielded up. Back in the old days when we used to go to Baptist churches and all, we used to call that worldliness, right? Backsliding. That's what happens to some Christians. Their heart's been captivated by something outside of Christ. The heart is a vital part of the body. A wound here is instant death. Thus, spiritually as well as naturally, out of the heart are the issues of life. It is a great vital spring of the soul, the fountain of actions, the center and the seat of principle, both of sin and of holiness. How many Christians are going to heaven miserably? Because they're not willing to accept the riches of his grace and the wonders of his peace that he so willingly has given. If we'll only acknowledge him as Lord, which is just another way of saying to live under the knowledge he is sovereign over all. Or as Brad so eloquently stated, when you believe in Jesus Christ, your life is over. (laughs) You have no life anymore. You're expendable in God's service. Do we really believe that? Or have we slipped? Have we allowed something in there that takes over? There is no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, he'll provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure. we got no excuses. None. Therefore, I think we should just confess and then repent. Paul warned of the foolishness of frustrating the grace of God. Think of that just for a second. You have, believer, I'm talking to believers now, you have the power within you, negative though it be, to frustrate the grace of God. Quench the spirit? Sound familiar? To frustrate means to hinder, to thwart, to make ineffective, to nullify. So if you're frustrating the grace of God, you're like the doofus on the, the, the escalator going up. You're walking down it. 
and skipping and having a good time. You're never going to get to the bottom because you're going up even as you're going down. And everybody that's passing you is going, what's wrong with this person? Why did not he just turn around and ride the escalator up to the top? That's frustrating the grace of God in your life, that enabling grace that helps you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Jesus warned the Pharisees of such folly in Mark 7, 9. Listen to this. I, I, I took it out of, uh, out of the Amplified Bible. You are experts at setting aside and nullifying the commandments of God in order to keep your own man-made traditions and regulations. Strong words. Proverbs 3, 5 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. When all anxiety has been uh, traded for dependent and thankful prayer, the result will be the peace of God, beloved. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is it guarding the hearts and minds from? The anxiety. (laughs) The anxiety. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast. That is, committed and focused on you in both inclination and character. Why? Because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Song, if I was a singer, I'd sing, Stayed Upon Jehovah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hymn. Let me ask you just two very simple questions and then we'll go to the barbecue, okay? Wherever you're having it. First, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God through justification? Second one, do you know the joy of the peace of God as you're facing the trials that you're inevitably going to face in life? Just two simple questions. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day wherein we celebrate our independence, our independence from tyranny. And it's reminded us, Lord, of the tyranny that we face as slaves to sin. And we lift up your name and we praise you. We exalt in the knowledge that we have been delivered from the tyranny and slavery of sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Oh, God, may we live like it. And may we be marked out as a bit strange because we don't respond to the problems in life in the same way those around us who know not you do respond. And may we use it for a chance to preach the gospel, to talk and explain the gospel and why we're able to be calm in the midst of turmoil. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.